Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. And it's the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning and welcome to it. This is Channel Africa uh, from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. And we're on DSTV's audio bouquet, Channel 802, as well as on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi and with me in studio is Anne Musa Jualani. Uh, I have Anne Musa, I have uh, Tabu Sulehoko as well as Afikile Lingwati. Some top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour. Mozambique Election Commission says it's all systems go for elections next week. UN Security Council to meet after Turkey strikes against Kurds in Syria. And economics experts call for greater investment in the energy sector in Africa. And in sports, second test between India and South Africa gets underway in Pune. But first, Anne Musa with the news. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The Mozambique Election Commission says all voter materials have been dispatched to various regions of the country ahead of the general elections on Tuesday. It says 26 political parties are campaigning for elections. The commission says it's confident that it will administer free and fair elections in which Renamo will for the first time contest power without opposition leader Afonso Tlakama. The commission spokesperson Paul Kunika says for the first time 10 governors will be chosen from the competing parties. The political parties are campaigning until the 12th. We have had some incidents like uh, battle on uh, propaganda material, destruction, and uh, also have uh, some clashes here and over there. But we would say that uh, so far this has been a smooth campaign in spite of this incident. We think that uh, the problems that are happening here and over there have been controlled by the police. A Tunisian appeals court has freed presidential candidate Nabil Karoué from prison days before Sunday's second round run-off election. Karoué was detained in August before the first round of the election and has spent the entire campaign period in prison. Last week, the interim president, Mohamed Anasur, said his detention and inability to campaign had damaged the credibility of the election. The case against Karoué was brought three years ago by iWatch, the local chapter of Transparency International and Anti-Corruption Watchdog. A row between Egypt and Ethiopia over the damming of the River Nile has escalated after recent talks between the two countries failed to make any progress. In Parliament, Egypt's foreign minister accused Ethiopia of ignoring an agreement and going ahead to fill up the Renaissance Dam. The BBC's Will Ross reports. Egypt's great concern is how long Ethiopia is going to take to fill up the Renaissance Dam's vast reservoir. Ethiopia says it could take less than three years, but as a concession has proposed taking longer, between four and seven years. 
but Egypt's still worried and wants the process slowed right down if there's a drought. It now fears the government in Addis Ababa is going to go ahead and fill the dam at its own pace. In Parliament, the Egyptian Foreign Minister, Sami Shokri, described this as an unacceptable move that would affect the stability of the region. France, Germany and Britain have asked for a meeting of the United Nations Security Council. Jens Stoltenberg, the Secretary General of NATO, of which Turkey is a member, says Ankara should act with restraint. The European Commission, President Jean-Claude Jancar, has urged Ankara to stop. Turkey has security concerns at its border with Syria. However, I call on Turkey, as well on the other actors, to act with restraint and to stop operations already, as we are speaking, underway. This military action is not leading to good results. And finally, protesters in Ecuador have clashed with security forces as thousands flooded the capital, Quito, during a nationwide strike. Police fired tear gas to disperse demonstrators marching near the presidential palace. The protesters are demanding the resignation of President Lenin Moreno. The BBC's World Grant reports. While the violence is taking place in Quito and other big cities in Ecuador, President Moreno has pointed the finger at his predecessor, Rafael Correa, in self-imposed exile in Europe. Former President Correa released a video on social media in which he called for early elections but denied he was attempting a coup. There have been some talks between the government and the indigenous leaders, yet following days of constant street violence, this conflict doesn't look like being resolved peacefully just yet. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Mozambique Election Commission says it is all systems go for next week's elections, with the 26 political parties campaigning for this year's general elections. The commission says it is confident that it will administer free and fair elections in this year's elections. Renamo will for the first time contest power without historic opposition leader Alfonso Dlakama. Mutsebi Wamunareng reports. 26 political parties have registered to participate in this year's general elections in Mozambique. President of the Republic and Frilimo leader Philip Nusim, Mozambican National Resistance Renamo, head Afuso Momande, 
Democratic Movement of Mozambique MTM leader Davis Simango and candidates of the Extra Parliamentary Action Party of the United Movement of Integral Salvation, Amusi Mario Albino, all hope to inhabit the Ponta Vermela, an official residence of the head of state. The campaign trail is at an advanced stage despite incidences of political intolerance. Mozambique Election Commission spokesperson Paul Quinica says all voters' materials have been dispatched to various regions of the country ahead of the elections. The political parties are campaigning until the 12th. We have had some incidents like uh, battle on uh, propaganda material, destruction, and uh, also have uh, some clashes here and over there. But we would say that uh, so far this has been a smooth campaign. In spite of this incident, we think that uh, the problems that are happening here and over there have been controlled by the police. The ruling Frilimo held its Congress earlier this year, at which members resolved to support the re-election of President Philip Newsom for a second and final term. Listen to Frilimo spokesperson A.R. Kaifaidine. We're going for the voting, and the people will vote, and uh, we will win. And we accept the result, any results that... that uh, the, the outcome of, uh, of, of the, the, the election. Meanwhile, the head of the local elections observer team was reportedly gunned down earlier this week in Shaishai, a small town in the southern eastern side of Gaza province in Mozambique. Human Rights Watch in Mozambique is also concerned about the escalating violence in the northern and central parts of the country. This is despite the recent peace pact signed by Frilimo and Renamo. Advocate Sipo Mantula from the Institute for Dispute Resolution in Africa says the role of observer missions must be respected in any election. Elections are not bringing dividends or gains to the electorate. There is still a challenge in terms of even respecting the rules of uh, electoral observer mission because domestic observer missions play a critical role in any election beyond the international observers or regional observers because they stay in that community, they live in that community, they'll be picking up pieces even post-election results. So it's critical that uh, Anastasia Matavela, who was killed on Monday, there should be a commission of inquiry will have to be set up within 15 days to give a detailed report. The Mozambique Electoral Commission says the final results of the elections will be announced in less than 15 days after election day. Mutsibwa Munareng, Bombela. The United Nations Security Council will convene on Thursday on developments in northeastern Syria after Turkey launched a military offensive to eliminate Syrian Kurdish forces, which Ankara considers terrorists. The move follows a decision by United States President Donald Trump earlier this week to withdraw American special forces from the region uh, who have long allied with Kurds in their fight against ISIS in the territory. The United Nations, for its part, has called for restraint, while humanitarian organizations are said to be preparing for the worst. Sean Bryce Peace reports. A call between the leaders of Turkey and the United States Sunday appeared to clear the way for the U.S. withdrawal from the region and the military operation against the U.S.-backed Kurdish Syrian Democratic Forces. President Trump tweeted earlier that the USA should never have been in the Middle East and that stupid endless wars for the United States are ending, infuriating their Kurdish allies who've been pivotal in curtailing ISIS while angering many in his own party. The UN Secretary General continues to call for restraint through spokesperson Farhan Haq. 
The Secretary General is very concerned by the recent developments in Northeast Syria. Any military operation must fully respect the UN Charter and international humanitarian law. Civilians and civilian infrastructure should be protected in accordance with international law. The Secretary General believes that there is no military solution to the Syrian conflict. He reiterates that only an inclusive and credible political process pursuant to Security Council Resolution 2254 can bring a long-term solution to the conflict in Syria. As the Security Council reaffirmed yesterday in its presidential statement, any solution must respect the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Syria. Reports from the region suggest Turkish artillery units have been shelling several border towns, while Kurdish authorities urged their people to mobilize to carry out acts of resistance, with indications of displacement already taking place. We can be prepared if we have the humanitarian access that we need to scale up in response to this uh, current situation. Uh, the UN does not have an alternative form of delivery that, re that could re replicate the timeliness or reach of its cross-border activities, particularly as access to northwestern Syria for humanitarian partners registered in Damascus is restricted. It remains therefore critical to fully preserve all possible avenues for humanitarian access. NATO also weighed in, echoing UN calls for restraint through the alliance's Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg. NATO has been informed uh, by Turkish authorities about their ongoing operation in northern Syria. It is important to avoid actions that may further destabilize the region, escalate tensions and cause more human suffering. I count on Turkey to act with restraint and ensure that any action it may take in northern Syria is proportionate and measured. We must not jeopardize the gains we have made together against our common enemy, ISIS, because ISIS continues to pose a grave threat to the Middle East and North Africa and to all our nations. I will discuss this issue with President Erdogan in Istanbul on Friday. Turkey's President Tayyip Erdogan earlier announced that the military action was aimed at eliminating what he called a terror corridor on his country's southern border, while Kurds have warned of huge panic among their people. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. Moving on right now, where heads of uh, anti-corruption agencies from around Africa are meeting in Rwanda's capital Kigali to discuss strategies on how to overcome challenges that countries have experienced as they try to do recover stolen assets. The meeting is seeking ways the continent can work as one to repatriate billions of dollars stashed in uh, accounts abroad. Global anti-corruption body Transparency International ranks African countries as some of the most corrupt in the world. Sarah Kimani reports. From the onset, the heads of anti-corruption bodies in Africa will be dealing with a tall order in their bid to slay the dragon of graft and return stolen monies back to the continent. Charitin Chimunya is the executive secretary of the African Union Board on Corruption. And as a continent, it is about high time we spoke with one voice in as far as the issue of asset return is concerned. And uh, the more we do this, I'm sure it will result in huge strides in bringing back 
our money, which we need so much for the development of the continent. Africa loses 148 million U.S. dollars every year to corruption, according to the African Development Bank, while at least 1.4 billion U.S. dollars of stolen funds was frozen between 2010 and 2012. Less than 150 million dollars was returned, according to the World Bank. Anastasia Murekeziza is the ombudsman in Rwanda. Corruption cannot be eradicated only by laws and regulations. We must build partnerships very strong partnerships between African countries, institutions and organizations with high political commitment to fight against corruption and with the support from the public in order to discourage misappropriation of public assets. But even as they put their heads together, questions abound about the continent's leadership's commitment to end runway corruption. Johnson Businja is the Attorney General in Rwanda. Today, out of the 55 African states, only 49 member states have signed and only 41 have ratified the African Union Convention on Preventing and Combating Corruption. So where does that leave us? Nigeria and Kenya have in the last year announced success in tracing and repatriating some of the stolen assets. The meeting, however, had that there will be need to ensure such monies do not end up being misused. Sarah Kimani, Kigali, Rwanda. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa. Rise. Channel Africa. From an African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Millions are trafficked around the world each year and more than 70% of them are women, according to UN figures. In an interview with UN News, Hilary Bedama, chairperson of the Committee on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, says that poverty, male impunity and forced migration are just a few of the factors boosting the numbers. Speaking on the rights of women trafficking victims, Bedema called on countries not to complicate asylum procedures and that uh, the Committee on Elimination of Discrimination Against Women is scheduled to release recommendations on combating trafficking of migrants next month. Bedema spoke to UN News' Shirin Yassin and stated, started by explaining the broader definition of trafficking women and girls, which is usually linked to sexual exploitation. This is Anna Karmu with UN News. 
Millions are trafficked around the world each year and more than 70% of them are women, according to UN figures. In an interview with UN News, Hilary Bedema, chairperson of the Committee on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, or CEDAW, says that poverty, male impunity and forced migration are just a few of the factors boosting the numbers. Speaking on the rights of women trafficking victims, Ms. Bedema called on countries not to complicate asylum procedures, and CEDAW is scheduled to release recommendations on combating trafficking of migrants next month. Ms. Bedema spoke to UN News' Shirin Yassin and started by explaining the broader definition of trafficking women and girls, which is usually linked to sexual exploitation. Indeed, as you've pointed out, trafficking is wider than that. And uh, the definition that uh, we are guided by is the definition in the UN Convention to prevent, suppress and punish trafficking in persons, especially of women. That is what is called the uh, trafficking protocol. And in under this uh, definition, trafficking in persons means uh, recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, receiving people using threats or force, abduction, using abuse of power, and doing all this um, for the purpose of exploitation. Now, it is the exploitation that could be prostitution. It could also be uh, forced labor. It could be slavery or practices similar to slavery, contemporary forms of slavery, servitude, or the removal of organs. So... It's it's that wide. And when there is exploitation involved, it is irrelevant that the person trafficking has given their consent. Do we have some latest figures and numbers about people who are victims of trafficking? Uh, yes, the latest uh, uh, figures we have, which are reproduced in the concept paper, are from 2017. And they are the ILO figures that show that uh, 71% of them is women. How come this number is increasing and how come we have 71% of the victims of women and, and girls with everything, with all the efforts being exhorted, with everything being done? What does it indicate that this number is increasing? The easiest understood would be probably the financial, uh, I will not call it benefit, but what accrues financially to the trafficker. And it is put in the neighborhood of uh, about 99 billion a year. The second is impunity, because those who are involved in this are not adequately, promptly, swiftly, and harshly punished enough to serve as a disincentive. The third uh, area would be the more structural areas. And these are the areas that deal with our concepts of women. Poverty, that women are disproportionately poor. The fact that they, their access to formal work that is subject to labor inspections is weaker. The more systemic problems of uh, women not being able to speak their mind, male impunity, male entitlement, women's low positions. Then we have other factors like um, migration, in which context this is, uh, natural disasters, technological innovations, by which means women are lured into trafficking and coerced 
because they don't also have enough information, the, the deception part. We also can come to the uh, legal framework, uh, weak laws, weak implementation. So one thing during my research that I read about the rights of women who are victims of trafficking is that they are actually have the right for asylum seeking. Yes. If you can elaborate more on that, and also if you can tell us about what other rights that women are not aware of and they need to know if they were victims of trafficking. First of all, we the whole issue around migration and safe migration. And that's Hilary Bidamar, chairperson of the uh, Committee on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, speaking to Shirin Yassin of UN News. A policeman was stoned to death on Tuesday in Malawi during clashes between pro- and anti-government protesters ahead of President Peter Mutarika's first public meeting since a disputed election. A wave of protests over the May poll has uh, May poll has gripped Malawi since May and Musundwe, a trading po- outpost west of the capital Lilongwe, has been a hotbed of demonstrations. Channel Africa's George Mango reports from Blantyre. The killing of a police officer happened in Lilongwe, central region, which is the stronghold of the main opposition and oldest political grouping Malawi Congress Party, MCP. During the day, embattled President Bidam Tarika, whose election is being challenged in the Constitutional Court, was conducting his first ever political rally. Imanu Alifazima, a vivid follower of the developments politically, said the incident could have been avoided if President Mutarika had not held the political meeting with his Democratic Progressive Party zealots. Looking into uh, this situation is very pathetic in such a way that uh, by uh, looking at the rise, uh, human rise, it means like that uh, uh, Malawians were not respecting rights of every person. If we look into this situation, a police man being killed while on duty is somehow pathetic. We can also talk about the security. Where is the security of the country? Because uh, we know that as a Malawian, we are supposed to respect uh, each and every person and uh, we have also different roles to play in the country for the benefit of the country so what I can say is that uh, we should scrutinize on this issue so that um, the fact on this situation should be people should understand political and uh, role because uh, when we are talking about the political Everybody has a right to participate, has a right to associate in politics, and uh, at the same time, is also supposed to respect the law. And in this situation, what I can beg is that uh, the law enforcers should deal with the perpetrator. President Mutaria, who described the killing of the police officer as the works of the opposition, asked his supporters to observe a minute of silence in honor of the departed police officer. The angry protesters stoned the police officer to death in Msundwe Township, which is an entry point to Mchinji district close to Malawi's neighboring country, Zambia.
Police have since arrested 30 of the protesters suspected to be behind the killing of the police officer who was trying to contain the ugly post-election violence situation. Gracious Moses thinks those behind the killing should face the law. As a Malawian, I see that uh, there is a big problem in our country, a very big pro problem, mostly uh, politi politically. Yeah. Uh, I see no reason why this policeman have been killed. Yeah, to me, it's unfair. Uh, the best way to fall, those who have done this, these things must be arrested. That's, what I'm, that's how I'm seeing right now. On the same day, another police officer who was beaten up by demonstrators on August 6th and had his spinal cord broken died. Police confirmed. Since the protest started in June when President Mutarika was declared winner of the May 21 presidential elections, the law enforcers have arrested close to 70 people suspected of burning government buildings, looting and stealing public and private properties. The protesters, who have the backing of the Human Rights Defenders Coalition, HRDC, are demanding the resignation of Malawi Electoral Commission Chairperson Jenny Ansa, claiming she fraudulently declared Mutarika winner of the presidential elections. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel African in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Now it's time for your latest news headlines. Here's Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent 
and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the Mozambique Election Commission says all voter materials have been dispatched to various regions of the country ahead of the general elections on Tuesday. A Tunisian appeals court has freed presidential candidate Nabil Karoui from prison days before Sunday's second round runoff election. And a row between Egypt and Ethiopia over the damming of the Ravanal has escalated after recent talks between the two countries failed to make any progress. Those are the stories making headlines. Self-confident, on top of the situation, capable of picking up improbabilities, contradictions. He was imposing. He was a very tough negotiator. He didn't come up with a, a statement to the negotiations of trying to take revenge, of blame, criticism, bitterness, retribution. What he did was to get into the mind of his adversary. I don't think that 27 years was a waste. It was quite crucial in the making of who he turned out to be. Nelson Mandela, the key to our freedom Reconciliation and Unity. Malawian nationals who constitute the majority of a diaspora community in Zimbabwe have called for the lifting of sanctions. A few weeks ago, the SADC agreed that the 25th of October shall be a day set aside for member states to demonstrate against sanctions in Zimbabwe. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Malawians living in Zimbabwe have added their voice to the call for the removal of targeted sanctions against a number of Zimbabweans. This comes following a decision by SADAC a few weeks ago to set aside the 25th of October this year as a day for the call for the removal of sanctions on Zimbabwe. While fellow Africans are insisting targeted sanctions are hating Zimbabwean citizens as well as the region, Western countries say sanctions are targeted and have no effect on ordinary people. Zimbabwe is currently experiencing serious socio-economic challenges, which SADC member states say are partly caused by the sanctions. During a meeting at the Malawian embassy in Arare, the ambassador, Eni Kumwenda, had this to say. The Malawi community is ready to participate and to stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters here in, in Zimbabwe. Uh, basically because, one, we are here in Zimbabwe. Whatever uh, every Zimbabwean is feeling, the pinch they are feeling, all Malawians are also feeling it. Secondly, it's whatever is happening here, it's affecting uh, the neighboring countries, including Malawi. So there's no way we can just sit and watch uh, without demonstrating and show our solidarity with our uh, fellow Zimbabweans here. Kumwenda added that the sanctions have partly contributed to the economic challenges in Zimbabwe and this has a triple effect on the entire region. Zimbabwe is having cash, fuel, electricity, hospital drug shortages and many more challenges that require concerted efforts from the region to fix. Some feel the challenges are as a result of contested polls, gross human rights abuses, hence the targeted sanctions on alleged perpetrators of those atrocities. Ambassador Mwenda explained. The first reason in the one Yapanga contribute to the situation where we are right now. 
I think you, we need you to understand that I'm saying it has contributed it. It's not the sole reason, but just a contribution to the economic situation and the suffering which we, our fellow brothers and the sisters in Zimbabwe are going through, including Ifeos. Inasmuch as Zimbabwe was the breadbasket for Africa in the 1990s, citizens from regional countries also felt the country was economically better. However, today the situation in Zimbabwe is different and citizens have no choice but to migrate to South Africa. Youths are the worst affected, the Malawian ambassador said. So when you look at me, I'm very passionate about the, the youth, the children and women. And when you look at the pain and suffering which they are going through, I just want to pick on Ngati Achinyamada. Okay. Achinyamada, they are actually looking for and generation. You can see they would really want to, to look for opportunities beyond Zimbabwe. Komano, they are restricted in terms of because they are not like a priority and with the sanctions when you just say uh, I'm from Zimbabwe already you have closed the journey, your doors. The problems in Zimbabwe have affected the region, hence the call by Sadak to unite against the sanctions Kumwenda added. Every week to Makadima illegal immigrants. Why? These are also useful Malawians traveling looking for employment opportunities. So instead of them maybe Kuzango Terapa Zimbabwe, they are going even beyond Kukafika Kuti to South Africa. But when you look at uh, what is happening in South Africa, what is happening in South Africa, partly also is because of the collapse of the economy in Zimbabwe. My, uh, my human smugglers, they have also taken advantage. Okay? So they will say, okay, just give us this money. But it is not possible. This just shows in as much as it's a Zimbabwe problem, but it has affected the entire region. In Harare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. The family of South African Fismas Fall activist Kanya Tekeshe says he's been battling to cope since his incarceration in 2017. Tekeshe was in the Johannesburg Magistrates Court for his bail application on Wednesday. He also submitted an application for leave to appeal his conviction. Judgment on both applications will be handed down on Monday. The student activist was sentenced to eight years in prison in 2017, with three years suspended after pleading guilty to burning a police van at the height of the Fees Must Fall protests in 2016. Sasha Naidu reports. Kaya is the only Fees Must Fall activist who remains behind bars since the protests began in 2016. He's been behind bars for 22 months. Tekeshe is serving a five-year jail term at the Leocop prison after he was sentenced on the 4th of December for his involvement in the protests for free higher education. His mother, Takazi Tekeshe, says her son is trying to stay strong, but he has been battling with health issues in prison. 
he tries to come across as a strong person. That's how Kanya is. Because I think he's trying to be, he doesn't really want us to see that he's, it's actually tough in me. He's, he's really dropping. He's been sick, I don't know how many times. Two weeks ago, he was like extreme, he was seriously sick. So it, that alone shows that he's really not coping where he is. Well, he was hoping that he will be released today. Now that we've been given Monday, I guess, well, he has to hold on to that hope. What other choice does he have? Takeshe made two applications in the Johannesburg Magistrates' Court. His new legal counsel, advocate Tembeka Ngukai Tobi, submitted a formal bail application on his behalf and an application for leave to appeal his conviction. Ngukai Tobi argued that the state has no evidence of any wrongdoing against Takeshe and if he had pleaded not guilty, he would have won his case. Ngukai Tobi told the court that the student activist was misled by his previous attorney who gave him poor advice, thus resulting in his incarceration. However, the state has opposed both applications, saying that Takeshe willingly admitted to his crimes. His mother says all she wants is to see him back in class. Uh, look, as a mother, really, I don't even want to talk to you guys today because I'm really sad. I actually, I'm on the verge of tears right now because I had hoped that I would be taking him home. I mean, he's just a, a child who was fighting for a better education in terms of fees for everybody, you know. And we all know that in South Africa, studying in high education is very, very expensive. So he was just there to assist, you know. And unfortunately, this is where he is today. It's really sad. It saddens me. All we want as his parents is to see him in class studying. Meanwhile, EFF student command members staged a picket outside court in support of Takeshe. EFF student command president Mandla Shikombana. Today we are here as the EFF students command to give support and moral of support to Kanya bail application. We want Kanya to be given a bail by the state. We want the state to consider the bail application of Kanya and Kanya be released from prison. He comes and further his studies from outside. Because he is a student, by the way, he does not belong in prison where he is today. And it's a fact that Kanya is not a criminal. It's a fact that Kanya never stole anything from anyone. But yet he remained in prison for quite a long time now. It's almost three years Kanya in prison. So it's long overdue that Kanya must be given a bail and he must come out. Takeshe will spend a few more nights behind bars before judgment on both his applications are handed down on Monday. Sasha Naidu, Johannesburg. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says the reforms that government is implementing to stimulate economic growth are reasons for hope. Ramaphosa was delivering the opening remarks at the first meeting of the Presidential Economic Advisory Council at Tainais in Cape Town. Lulama Macha reports. It was the first meeting of the Presidential Economic Advisory Council. The 18-member council brings together prominent economists, and technical experts drawn from, among others, academia, the private sector and labor. The president says some of the reforms are reviewing visa regulations and the release of the spectrum. So much work is now underway to ensure that we do increase the level of confidence and that we regain the credibility 
and the trust not only of the market but also of our people as we implement these reforms that already enjoy a great deal of support from a number of role players in our country. Ramaphosa also says the cabinet is still deliberating on the paper detailing how the challenges facing ESCOM are to be tackled. The integrated resource plan dealing with our energy strategy and policy going forward is under discussion at the cabinet level and will soon be released for public comment. The paper detailing our approach towards ESCOM will be tabled at cabinet shortly. This is a very important exercise because it consolidates all the work by ESCOM's board and the management, government departments, and the various task teams advising government to turn around our electricity entity and to reform energy markets. He added that an investment advisory council as well as state-owned enterprises council will be appointed soon. Lula Mamakia in parliament. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective. And now it's time for your economics news. Here's Tabiso Lehoko. Good morning. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has announced that he will appoint two more one investment and another one state-owned entities. He made the announcement at the first sitting of his Presidential Economic Advisory Council. The 18-member panel met at Ramaphosa Stainhays offices in the mother city of Cape Town on Wednesday. In his opening address, Ramaphosa said he was optimistic that the economy would eventually begin to improve. All these reforms and the initiatives that are now underway are reasons for hope. There is hope on the horizon. Our latest approach to the international bond market was met with enthusiasm and reasonable pricing as well. Growth rebounded in the second quarter of 2019 with GDP growth of 3.1%. It is my hope that the Council will direct its efforts 
towards practical solutions to the complex and pressing challenges our economy faces. African countries have agreed that the fossil fuel energy sector is a major component of their developmental plans while also recognizing that global warming is a major threat. African energy ministers are a part of the delegation at the oil and gas conference underway in the city of Cape Town, South Africa. Equatorial Guinea's energy and hydrocarbons minister Gabriel Obiang Lima says that there should be a balance between what Africa needs for its development and their approach to issues of global warming. If we don't promote growth and capitalism and those values, it's not capitalism the way you see, we are never going to take our resources and be real stewards of our resources. We are going to always wait on others to come invest and we are at the begging end. It's time for us to be real stewards of our resources and drive it up. The wealth of top state officials, including the Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta and his deputy William Ruto, will be made public under a proposal that seeks to make Kenyans aware of public servants' riches. The Lifestyle Audit Bill 2019 is seeking to remove restrictions on Kenyans seeking to access information on income, assets and liabilities of persons holding public offices as part of efforts to fight corruption which has become endemic in government. The proposed law will demand the self-declared wealth declaration forms are made easily available to the public through a website or an unrestricted database hosted by the Ethics and Anti-Corruption Commission. Litzing and Gao Diamond Mines have been fingered by the Kimberley Process Civil Society Coalition for violation of human rights in Lesotho's mining sector. The recently released report titled Real Care is Rare says that the diamond sector is at crossroads with urgent need to balance its precious commodity amid the brutal violence and gross injustices within the sector. The KPCCSC is a coalition of non-governmental organizations that amplifies the voices of communities affected by diamond mining and seeks to align the diamond sector with standards of good governance and responsible corporate conduct. Mozambique Rovunia Venture, a consortium owned by the Italian energy company Eni, the U.S. oil and gas giant ExxonMobil, and the China National Petroleum Corporation has announced its initial investment decision that includes the construction of two liquefied natural gas plants with the capacity to produce 15.2 million tons of LNG per year. The gas comes from Ravuma Basin offshore area 4 in which Eni is the operator. MRV is separate from Eni's Coral South floating LNG project. The US dollar is trading at 359.61 Nigerian Nara. 1092 Botswana Pula, 102.65 Kenyan shilling, and 13.12 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 4.9 Brazilian roll, 64.98 Russian ruble, 70.89 Indian rupee, 7.13 Chinese yuan, and 15.20 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 81 pence to the British pound and at 91 cents to the euro. Gold $1,508, platinum $890 per ounce. Brand crude oil $58.17 a barrel. From an African perspective, you're listening to Channel Africa.
now it's time for your sport. Here is Figile Lengwati. This hour begin with the ongoing cricket tests in India. India is 57 runs and more for one wicket loss. India skipper Virat Kohli won the toss earlier and elected to bet in the second test against South Africa in Pune today. The host, who lead the three-match series 1-0, made one change to their starting lineup from the previous win on Sunday. India still in on the crease. And South African Premiership side Mamelodi Sundowns and Widad Casablanca of Morocco will meet for the fourth consecutive season after the KF Champions League group draw was made in Cairo, Cairo last night. Seeking a third consecutive title, Esperance are in Group D with three former champions Raja Casablanca of Morocco, JC Kabili of Algeria and V Club of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Record eighth-time champions Al-Akhli of Egypt will face former champions Itoil Sahil of Tunisia. Twice runners-up Al-Hilal of Sudan and Platinum of Zimbabwe in Group B. Still with football news and the draws, South African Premiership side Mamelodi Sundowns will see to it that they also go further in the Telcom knockout. A draw was conducted yesterday. South African Premiership side Kaiser Chiefs will meet Cape Town City in the Telecom knockout opening clash away from home. The draw was conducted in Johannesburg and the tournament will commence from the 19th of this month until the 14th of December. Barroca FC won the tournament last season after beating Orlando Pirates in the final. Chiefs goalkeeper Daniel Agpe says it is time to win a trophy. Well, I will talk more on Kaiser Chiefs because um, uh, we've been chasing to get a trophy you know, for some seasons now. And uh, I think uh, it's a fresh start for, for a trophy. And um, we are working hard and uh, we are looking forward to make sure that uh, we start winning something you know, from this season, rather from this year, um, starting with Telcom, even starting from the weekend game that we're going to be playing. So it's very important because um, every win motivates you to the next one. But again, we have to start with one. Well, you see, um, though we are on top today, but you see, it calls for more challenges because um, we are not perfect yet. We're still trying to work out, you know, things in every department of the team. So, but so far it's been going good, and um, we hope that we continue with this momentum because it only takes this momentum that will lead us into, you know, winning trophy going ahead. In rugby news, after extensive evaluation, World Rugby and the Japan Rugby 2019 Organizing Committee have announced an update regarding the predicted impact of Typhoon Hagibis on this weekend's Rugby World Cup 2019 pool matches. This includes the decision to cancel matches on safety grounds. Based on the latest detailed information from the tournament's independent weather experts, Hagibis is predicted to be the biggest typhoon of the 2019 season and is highly likely to cause considerable disruptions in the Tokyo, Yokohama and City of Toyota areas throughout Saturday, including likely public transport shutdown or disruption. As a result, World Rugby and the Japan Rugby 2019 Organizing Committee have taken the difficult but right decision to cancel matches in the affected areas on safety grounds. The impacted teams have been informed and are understanding for matches that do not go ahead as scheduled two points will be awarded to each team in line with the tournament rules.
Russia's anti-doping agency, Chief Yuri Ganus, believes that data handed from the Moscow laboratory to the World Anti-Doping Agency has been intentionally manipulated. He told the German magazine Der Spiegel yesterday and expects tough punishments. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. And that wraps up Africa, rise and shine for today. From myself, Samora Magesi, producers Pumutura Maganza and Jane Robotata, technical producers Fiso Mashejo and the rest of the team, thank you so much for listening. Should you have any comments on the show, be sure to send us a tweet at Rise Shine Africa or email info at channelafrica.co.za. Taking us to the top of the hour is Mondi Nwabo with a song titled Magoti. <laughs>